everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 156 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc. Acoustic Disc, one of my favorite websites to visit monthly, especially because every month they put out a new release. This month, October, they put out a volume two of Dave Apollon's recordings, three albums, and they also put out a new version of the Danny Barnes and David Grisman podcast, and this one was on the DGQ20 album, so go and check that out. Hope everybody is doing well. I'd like to welcome another new sponsor to the podcast, Grace Design. Grace Design is definitely one of the most uh, popular preamps that that musicians, especially in the bluegrass world, use um, if they have to plug in their instruments. It's one of the most natural sounding preamps in the biz. Um, and you've probably heard it on the podcast. And whenever we get around to talking about live rigs, it's almost always a Grace Design preamp. And they have three different models, the Bix, the Alex, and the Felix. Actually, the Felix is uh, the second version. I believe it's called the Felix 2 now, and you can actually plug in direct and use a microphone. So I want to welcome Grace Design. Thank you so much for uh, supporting the podcast. I want to thank Matt Flinner, by the way, my guest this week too. Matt and I had been texting about, he's got the brand new transcription book for, for the album, The View From Here. He's celebrating the 25th anniversary of that release. And he's putting out a book. And it's really awesome looking. If you go to Mandolin Cafe, there's a big link on the front page with an example as well. And we had been texting about doing an episode. And then my guest for this week had a scheduling conflict come up um, the day of the interview scheduled. And I'm like, oh, no. And fortunately, Matt was able to do this. And we were able to get this episode out on time. So I want to thank Matt for that. I also want to point out, he talks about two things. Or we talk about two things on this video. One is the wax Edison cylinder, and uh, I have a link to the uh, Punch Brothers video that he's talking about in the description of the podcast and at mandolinsandbeer.com. And also, he's uh, featured on an album that just came out in 2022 called Kids Picks, uh, which is some kids' songs, and Matt's playing mandolin on it, and I have a link to that as well. Once again, I want to remind Michigan listeners, I'm going to be up in Michigan Thursday, November 3rd in Grand Rapids. November 4th in Bay City, November 5th in Ferndale, uh, and I'm really excited to get up there with my Tom Petty Bluegrass tribute, so if you live in Michigan, it'd be awesome to see you there. Uh, tickets are on sale. It's the Listening Room in Grand Rapids, the State Theater in Bay City, and Otis Supply in Ferndale. All three places are great places to see shows, so looking forward to that. All right, let's get into the other sponsors. Again, I want to thank every sponsor. This really makes a huge difference and um, freeing up some time for me to be able to do these episodes. So I really, truly appreciate them all. Starting off with Peghead Nation, with Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. And I'm telling you, it's the best lineup there is out there. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey, who just they have a video on their Facebook page of Ian for one of the new tunes he's teaching that I believe I cannot pronounce properly, so I'm going to save myself the embarrassment. The courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab and play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Best part, join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Speaking of using codes, if you use the code ALL CAPS, MANDOBEER, all one word, you can go to StraightUpStrings.com's online store right now and get a 10% discount that will apply to books and strings, and that's including 
the six pack of strings. And again, talking about uh, items that some of the pros use, the strings, Tristan Scroggins, CJ Lewandowski, uh, Wyatt Ellis, the uh, mandolin construction manuals, they're on, uh, they're on the, the shelves of all the best mandolin builders. So you can get 10% off those items by going to straightupstrings.com uh, and use that code MANDOBEER, all one word, all caps, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, special workshops. Uh, speaking of seeing things on stage that everybody pretty much uses, Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today or, again, on pretty much any bluegrass stage you go to. There's a reason why the pros use them, and it's because they are fantastic. Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. Pava Mandolins, built in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much to Pava Mandolins. And Elderly Instruments, where you can find Northfield and Pava Mandolins. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide. You can visit them anytime at elderly.com or give them a call. 517-372-7880. Give them a call. They're some of the finest people you can talk to. Speaking of some of the finest people you can talk to, this episode with Matt Flinner. If you're new to the podcast, Matt was on episode number 10, and then we also did a track-by-track track episode for this exact album he's putting the transcription book out for. I was really excited to talk to him. It's always a blast, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Matt Flinner. Cheers, everybody. Man, now it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast once again, Matt Flinner. Matt, how's it going? Great, Daniel. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, tr- getting ready for uh, a wind down of the of the playing year. I've got a couple hectic weeks, and then and then finally, I think the second Wednesday in November <laughs> kind of gets mellow again. So. Oh, wow, nice. Well, you're going further in the year than I did. That's great. Yeah, it's been nice to be busy, but uh, you've also been pretty busy. Well, you're playing with Daryl Scott, you were saying, with the Daryl Scott Bluegrass Band? Yes. Yeah, we've done a few festivals this year. You know, Daryl um, goes out and plays solo and does an amazing show by himself. And I think when when a festival requests a band or when he wants to have the band out for, you know, for that that sound and that experience, then it's uh, the Daryl Scott Bluegrass Band. And so, uh, and that's uh, with Shad Cobb on fiddle and Bryn Davies on bass who a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with both of them. And then I play uh, mandolin and banjo and Daryl, of course. So it's the four of us. That's a great band. It's really, really great. It's really fun. And, um, you know, it's, I always, I don't know, you you know, you want to play with musicians that are, I always think like a little, at least a little better than me, you know, (laughs) and so playing with these three is like a little or a lot better than me. And I, and just 
all of them are really inspiring and we're all, they're all really keyed in and listening. And so it's just a really, really amazing and just kind of top notch experience musically. And then Daryl, you know, anybody that's familiar with Daryl, I'm sure knows about what a songwriter and just perform. I mean, just what a musician he is. And he's one of these people that, you know, I've had, I've thought about it. I've had good fortune to play with some players that I think really can create some magic. And, um, and he's one of them. And, and, uh, so just kind of grabbing on, grabbing hold and going along for the ride, sometimes what it feels like and just trying to contribute and, 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 uh, and stay with it and, you know, and be part of the sound is, is, uh, it's, it's, as, you know, it's as fun and as good as it gets, I think for me. And, uh, so I'm hoping that we'll be playing more. It's kind of, I think Daryl is kind of waiting to see when, when to release our record. We did a record, um, not long before COVID we recorded a record. <laughs> so that's been a while. This gosh. Yeah. It was in, it was in, uh, August of 2019. We did, uh, E-Town out in Boulder, Colorado with Nick Forster. And, uh, and then we used Nick's studio there at E-Town to make a record. Um, I think just before we did the E-Town gig, we were there at E-Town all week recording in between like a couple of festival gigs we had and the E-Town gig. So anyway, we did, you know, five days or something like that in the studio and uh, all Daryl's songs. No, we did, we did a Crosby, Stills and Nash song as well, which was cool. Oh, nice. Which one? Uh, we did um, Southern Cross. <laughs> it was really cool. I love that song. That's a really great song. And so we did that and he had John Cowan come in and overdub some vocals on that one. So there's, John's a guest on a couple things. And then um, Nick Forrester played on a couple things as well. But it's basically the four-piece band with, like, uh, you know, otherwise all the playing and all the background vocals and everything are by by the four of us. Um, so Daryl Daryl wanted it to be basically representing that band. And so I think it does a good job of of, of representing what, what the band sounds like and so whenever Daryl decides to release that, it's all done. I think it's all mastered and everything. But Daryl, you know, being being Daryl, he's got a lot of songs, a lot, and he's been working on various projects. And it's like just trying to decide when to release what. And he's got, <laughs> I think, a couple other things in the pipeline. And and right now is a tricky time to. Uh, well, for us older guys, maybe like figuring out how to navigate the modern world of. Uh, of releasing music where it's nothing like it used to be. And like, do you print up CDs or do you print up LPs or do you just do digital or what, you know, I think we decided we're going to do CDs now we kind of figured out that, you know, when you're out on tour, you still, I guess you still sell CDs. You still want to have a product, but it's just a way, you know, like making money on music is not, it just doesn't happen on, you know, so you, you, but you want to keep producing. I think most of us want to keep, making records so that we have a presence out there and that people are excited to have us play live because they've, you know, cause we're still creating new stuff. So I don't know. I think he's just trying to figure out when to release it. And then I'm hoping that, you know, if that's next year, then we'll hopefully do a bunch of festivals with that band. But whenever it does come out, I anticipate playing more with that group. That's exciting. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. 
the one the one good thing about vinyl is I definitely seem to see um, especially when I was at Green Mountain, a lot of the acts had vinyl. And I was really surprised to see how many people were like carrying vinyl around at the festival mm-hmm. that people actually bought it at this festival. I think the mm-hmm. other problem there is it's a giant backlog to get vinyl pressed. Right. That's what I hear. It's like, what, nine or 12 months or something to wait, or I don't know. Yeah. If I've heard it's a long time. Yeah. Should have opened a vinyl pressing place in my garage. <laughs> You'd make some money probably, right? Yeah, no kidding. Maybe uh, that's what I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I want to do? This is a serious thing too, is I want to make an Edison cylinder. And this is doable. You know what I'm talking about, right? The wax cylinders. I've got a wax cylinder player and, and these, like a bunch of wax cylinder records. And um, there's a certain... <laughs> I don't know why I would want to make one of these cylinders because they it's you know it's obviously not the quality of of a CD or you know anything digital but it's there's some charm about that and I figure if people are buying LPs even CDs too at this point are they are they even listening to them or are they you know taking it as a souvenir perhaps from the show because they want something to remember the show by and have some kind of you know, maybe the artist can sign it and whatever so I think I think a wax cylinder would be really cool because it would be that, you know, I really would love to do that. And actually, there is a way to do it. Well, there's a, a good studio in Murfreesboro, Tennessee uh, at MTSU. Um, and a friend of mine, <laughs> excuse me, a friend of mine has the, the connection to um, to get in there and make, and make a, a wax cylinder. And in fact, you know, I don't know if this ever got out, but the Punch Brothers did this. You just have, you have, to, they were in town and they managed to get, the wax cylinder recorder guy into the green room at their show at the Ryman or wherever they were. And they tried making a, you know, they made a wax cylinder recording and you only get one shot. Well, I guess you get another shot if you could just chuck the wax cylinder and then make another one if you didn't like your take, but obviously there's no editing. It's just the real deal, but you've really got to project, you know, cause you're recording into a you know, it's old fashioned horns. I think like you see here on the Victrola thing. And so you're, and um, the performers that they had back in the teens and twenties of the nineteen hundreds, you know, were were these vaudeville a lot of these vaudeville performers that would be really projecting in a theater, like singers and orchestras and things. And they got, you know, you got I've got a couple of wax cylinders of like Theodore Roosevelt giving speeches and crazy things like that, where they they're really projecting their voices or instruments into a um, this cone, you know. And so the Sprunch Brothers, being so dynamic and so, you know playing really quiet and then really loud and having these intricate arrangements. Um, that kind of thing didn't work. Apparently they played one of their, you know, one of these amazing <laughs> compositions right, and it just right. didn't come, it just didn't come through. So they listened back and said, okay, well, let's just do rye whiskey. then." so they did rye whiskey, which is just boisterous and loud. And, and I'm sure it sounds, I've never heard it, but that, that recording, but it, I'm sure it sounds great. So that's what I want to do is have, cause I, there's just a certain charm in that old, that old world, you know, those old world recordings is what it feels like that. So anyway, someday, someday soon, I don't know what, what to do yet, but to make an old time record in that, in that setting would be just magical, I think. So man, next time you're in Nashville, I know that um, third man records has one of those uh, booths where you can record like a three minute 45 record and it prints it oh, cool. right there on the spot for you right on the spot yeah yeah because that's the thing is I, I feel like we could get back to the days where we're not pitch correcting and we're not you know we're not editing and and we're just playing 
we're, it's as if we're playing a live performance because that's what you know recording was up until a certain point where we got to where we could overdub and it's just such a real feeling to those old like flat and scruggs records and bill monroe records and old time records from the you know the carter family and stuff like that that um you know stuff is so produced and even in bluegrass it's often that just so produced that it's refreshing to hear for it's it's i've always been ref refreshed when i hear norman blake and he still is the same guy you know he's still playing just into the microphone and i don't think there's a whole lot of editing going on there and i just love that so you have to do that with what you're talking about or with these cylinders so that's another reason that i think it's so cool but anyway someday yeah exactly and then i just saw this for the first time today actually there's a, a album called kids picks um hmm. by patrick ross and it looks like it has you oh, on there yeah yeah yes oh patrick ross yeah up here in vermont i'm eastern vermont great fiddle player and when you said when you're like hmm i'm like oh shoot is that not is this a different map no <laughs> i'd forgotten about that that's right that was me and ross martin and eric Turin. i think the three of us were out here on tour is the Matt Flinner trio, you know, and we, and we did a gig with Patrick on fiddle, as I recall. And then we, uh, we hung out at his place for a while and did, yeah, we did that project. He's yeah. Good musician, really good guy, Patrick. Yeah. The recording's great, man. And it's, yeah, it's called kid picks featuring Matt Flinner, Patrick Ross music. If I'll put a link in here, but it's a bunch of kid like the uh, kind of kid songs. It's got Buffalo gals on there and yeah, it sounds great. to hear that again i haven't heard it in a long time yeah it's really really cool and then obviously the big thing the big news front page of the mandolin cafe is the hey. um the view from here the the transcription book is coming out right that is awesome 25 years right um yeah we recorded that in uh 1997 and it came out in 98 so uh, well, I think it came out February of 98, something like that. So it's coming up on 25 years since that was released. So I, I thought I would get the book out. I've been kind of working on the, I've had the book partly done for a long time and then thought, well, it's just, it's coming up on this sort of anniversary. Let's, let's get it out. And so Don Greaser, great mandolin player down in New Mexico and, and a good layout guy did the layout for me and kind of kicked my butt a little bit into getting it done, um, <laughs> which I'm very grateful for. And so Don got the layout done, and, and now I, was, I just heard today that um, I think it's shipping to me maybe tomorrow. So I'll have them in my hands sometime early, early next week and sending them out to folks. But, um, yeah, I'm excited about that. It's it's a nice memory, too, that, that recording. So now did you have to go back – did you go back and re-listen to the album, like – pretty intently and go through and, and kind of listen to it and make your, you know, look at your notes to, you know, listen and see that everything was what you remembered or was it something you were just able to kind of do by memory? Um, I went back, like you say, I went back and listened closely. Um, and some of it was a combination of what you're saying. I mean, I, I wanted it to be accurate. 
um, but also user friendly for for players. So, um, but yeah, I, I went I went listened very intently, and sometimes I wrote what I meant to do instead of what <laughs> you know. No, I think it was pretty true to what I played. But um, like for example, on Black's Fork, and maybe another t- like TNA or something. There were a couple tunes where let's say you've got two A parts and then a B part and or something like that. And the, the A part may be played slightly differently the second time, but just barely. Um, so I just left it as, you know, the main way of playing it and then wrote a repeat sign so that it's just, you know, you're not reading all the way through it just for one note being different. So I did try to make it user-friendly in arrangements um, and kind of boil it down to the way I feel like, um, if you're learning it, you you know, the way you ought to play it. Um, and then the solos are, uh, are what I played on, you know, yeah, on the solos. And I tried to, I indicated arrangements as far as, you know, like, uh, let's see, like city chickens, for example, you know, it's an A, 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 B, B, C, C form. But the solos on the recording were A, A, B, B, and then someone else took C, C, A, A, someone else took B, B, C, C. So I just indicated, well, here's what the arrangement kind of was, maybe not the order of solos, but how we approached soloing, um, you know, what changed with the arrangement with solos. But it just encourage people to take this book, if they do learn any tunes from the book, to feel free to obviously, you know, make your own arrangements out of the tunes. And um, if you do arrange them with other folks just here's what we did but i would encourage you to do do it your own way so i was hoping just that it would be as user-friendly as possible and just give you the idea of how these things go and then you take it from there um and along those lines also i um put in one exercise for each tune as well like a technical exercise and that would relate to either some aspect of technique, like maybe picking technique or something, um, or just something that popped out in the tunes to me as being technically challenging. And so let's make an exercise out of that to um, kind of, if you want to kind of drill yourself on that little picking technique or whatever it is, here's a little way to do that with this exercise. Um, Or maybe some aspect of melody that I thought was unique that you could expand on. You know, so like, um, I was thinking, you know, like if you listen to, let's say a Bach piano piece, like, like, like everybody learned that first when they learned Bach on the piano. But if you take and make an exercise out of that, the way somebody like, I don't want to remind myself to Bach or anything, but like if he, you know, obviously, but like he, <laughs> he would often, you can tell he's like expanding on melodies, like if an exercise came out of that, it would be like, dun, da, 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 and then, dun, da, 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 dun, 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 da, 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 that type of thing where you're learning a bit of melody, but you're taking it to other places around the key or to other keys. Um, I mean, I, you know, so that type of thing from certain parts of melodies of the tunes, I tried to expand on different than what was played on the record, but like, let's, let's explore this little melodic cell around the key that we're in. And I was hoping that instead of this just being a transcription book where you're learning the solos, which is fine, you know, and you're learning the melodies, but maybe if you can take some of these little melodic ideas and expand on them, maybe this can help you 
in your own soloing, in your own understanding of, you know, how to play in a certain key, um, basically just hoping that maybe this would kind of feed, feed your creativity in some way. If you, you know, if you take this idea and, and go somewhere else with it on your own. So that was the hope is that it's not just transcriptions, but it's, um, suggestions on how to take some of these things and you know go your own places with them uh, it's, um and they have an example of it over at mandolin cafe for cold Colors. oh right yeah um, and that one was about pick direction i remember like because there were some things where I've, I've you know that's a more fundamental thing in that exercise where i've had a lot of students where i've noticed where you know with pick direction sometimes you can get very tripped up in a fiddle tune and i'm one of these players that you know, I listened to so much Sam Bush and watched him so much growing up and David Grisman and, and Sam Bush especially is very, very much, you know, this consistent pick direction, regardless of the rhythm of the tune. Um, and so unless he's tremoloing or something, but um, so I took that as a way of just trying to stay solid with your, with your uh, groove in the tune and not stumbling in, in the melody. And so that's what that exercise is about is just, when you have these weird syncopations and things, keeping keeping the, the motion in your picking hand consistent. And there's a couple. There's another exercise like that, and then there are other ones that are more about expanding on melody and stuff like that. Which one was the uh, toughest one? Do you think uh, going through when you were coming up for these exercises? Like, ooh, you know what? <laughs> this this might help out. I think the first one, that redshift, because um, there's a. It's either that or maybe city chickens. Um, so I, I, yeah, cause redshift is the first tune on the record and that's, the, that's the, the exercise is, is put in the book before the tune. And so the first thing in the book is pretty challenging. It's a challenging exercise. Um, and it's, um, I think it's from, uh, there's a little thing in the B section of redshift where it's like, it's like a little arpeggio that, goes down and up and then kind of just this little chromatic thing to another chord tone and then it goes down and up again and there's another chromatic thing to another chord tone. And I thought that was a cool melodic pattern to maybe, like I said, you know, to expand on. And so the exercise is based on that. But I did put in the, like in the um, uh, introduction, um, you know, if you're looking for something easy to start with, then start with this one and save save redshift exercise for the last one <laughs> and here's the order of difficulty as far as tunes and exercises and da 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 so you can kind of pick and choose oh that's great man yeah that's a, a redshift i remember first getting the album and again at first i was just playing mandolin as well and um redshift is one of those awesome songs that's it's 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 so pretty and great. You don't really realize how difficult it is until you <laughs> until you try to play it because you don't. I mean, it doesn't. I don't want to say it doesn't sound difficult. You know, I mean, it just it's such a beautiful piece of music. You don't really. I guess you don't realize how difficult it is until you try to sit down and play it. And you're like, oh. <laughs> well, thanks. No, I take that as a high compliment because I've I've had a lot. Yeah, I know what you mean. With um, sometimes if it if it sounds difficult sometimes that can make you not want to really listen to it. <laughs> it's not, it shouldn't sound, it shouldn't sound like a, a chore to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. So, sometimes yeah. we melody gets forsaken for technical prowess in some things, you know, and, and oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, 
Yeah, but yeah, that I, I remember. I remember. Distinctly. I've never had a problem with technical prowess. <laughs> it's never gotten in the way. <laughs> I, I remember somebody asking me like they had borrowed me something one time like oh yeah I'll, I'll give you like a mandolin lesson and i don't know who i thought i would be offering anybody a mandolin lesson probably playing like a year at that point you know but it's the only one really probably playing in my area and I'm like what song would you want to learn it's like city chickens and i'm like okay cool and oh, I sat, whoa. yeah i sat down for real and then i sat down and i'm like oh how about i just pay you for that favor because <laughs> huh. it was it was definitely um i still have it written out somewhere too in one of these books of you know all these songs I transcribed since I've, I've got the first book since I even started playing mandolin that I transcribed uh, floating around here. So wow, cool. Yeah, I'm sure it's a giant mess. I'll have to look at it, uh, compare it to the uh, to the book and see how far off I was. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll send you one. I, I was I'd be curious because I uh, and that's yeah, that's another challenging one is and I you know, last time we talked, it was about this very record, right? So so we're kind of getting potentially redundant here. But the, I think I mentioned that that was that's that's where i stole a lot of david grisman <laughs> so, you know, at least one the kind of grisman ism that that i definitely was thinking about in that tune and i think i told you this before where i gave david a copy of the cd you know because i he's such a hero and i said you know hey i should probably apologize there's a tune in here that's totally based on <laughs> you know some some of your um style and your ideas and he goes and I, he said, "Hey, man, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery." So I was <laughs> like, great. just relieved that, like, all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely it's it's not Grisman, but you can tell that it's well, it's basically Grisman, you know. But <laughs> he, he would do it better. He would do it better, you know. But it was definitely <laughs> ideas of his that I was because I had just learned that tune, Dog's Bowl. You know, mm -hmm. I think I learned how to play it correctly from Todd Phillips because he knew how to actually play it. And I was playing it, I was fretting it wrong. Um, but it still sounded like the tune to me, but then I then Todd showed me how to do it. Because um, I guess for a while, you know, in their live shows, I mean, Todd played bass on the record, but they must have been playing it at least double or maybe even triple mandolin on some shows before that record where Todd was still on the mandolin. So he, so he knew how to um, And that, that's what... You know the way it's a really clever thing um the way grisman would use these open strings as a almost like ghost notes but you can hear the rhythm of them and this other rhythm pops out from the melody but those open strings are in there but you can't quite understand what they are or, you know how he's fretting it or and it's pretty magical when you when you get that tune down dog's bowl like oh okay now i get it and the, and it just flows once you know how to fret that um and so that's what that same kind of ghost note of you know open strings was i guess i'm i was messing around with you know i was listening to like mccoy tyner and stuff too where you get these fourths in in playing and, and so it was taking that same idea but trying it in these kind of angular fourth kind of degrees and and uh um so it was you know i don't know i don't want to say sort of a combination of david risman and maybe some of that McCoy Tyner style stuff, but that that's what turned into this, that, that tune, I guess. Going back and listening to yourself from 25 years ago in that way, was there anything that you learned from that, that you made, you know, maybe forgot about, or that kind of, you know, refueled something in your playing? Right. 
Um, not really. I mean, I, I, that's a CD that I actually play when I do my classes online. Um, I'll sign in, usually try to sign in a little bit early, maybe five or 10 minutes early, uh, and leave my camera off and I'll turn that CD on and play it as background music. And then at the end of the session as well, I'll, I'll put it back on again. Um, and so, cause I figure out a, you know, I wanted to put other people's music on, but then I could be facing a lawsuit or something for doing, you know, getting paid to do something where I'm using someone else's music and even as background music. So I put on my own CD and so I've heard it a lot over the last eight years. You know, like, <laughs> um, and I think when I first did, I, cause I didn't listen to it. I don't ever listen to, you know, these people, I've never listened to my own CDs. I, and, and um, hearing it was, like oh yeah i think what i what i remember about it or what it reminded me of was the urgency of, of being you know 28 years old or whatever it was and playing with these players that were so inspiring and intimate they didn't mean to be intimidating of course but to me it was kind of an intimidating experience playing with my many of my heroes and just what that what that brought out in me was um, the the necessity of of doing my best, and I can hear that in there at the time. It's that's the best I can play, and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm actually really proud of that. But I but um, I can you know I don't hear myself being freaked out, but I remember being kind of freaked out at the time, <laughs> and and just like okay, I know these tunes because I wrote these tunes, so I got that. I got, I know how to play the melody. I'm going to do my best to solo. You know, the solos are improvised by everybody. And um, that kind of thing was a real kick in the butt. And that, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I, it's not like I hadn't been in situations like that in gigs, but to do it in the studio, there was a real raw kind of energy that had to come out of that. And so I think if you can capture that spirit more often, you know, if I can be in that frame of mind more often on gigs and recordings where, you know, you're playing by the seat of your pants and you're doing your, you're absolutely, you're not definitely not phoning it in for sure. Um, and you're just going for the, you know, you got to go with your absolutely play your guts out. And, uh, that, that was cool to hear that, that, you know, I still cringe at certain things I did, but like, I, I, I remember that that's, you know, that brought out probably the best of me at that time, which was, you know, I'm glad that it, and it helped a lot to have Todd Phillips there to, um, to help guide me and, and, uh, and David Greer too, to have him as a friend there, um, who was really supportive and like, you know, really wanted it to be a good record. He was, he seemed very invested for some reason in that being a good record. And, uh, so he, he would, we would get together and rehearse because he would ask to, you know, before that recording, we, the two of us played a bunch through those tunes. Um, so between him and Todd being there to help kind of guide things and, um, and Todd knowing which takes to pick and all that stuff and what to edit together. That, that certainly was a huge, huge part of, um, why I think it's a, you know, it's a good record, but, but, um, I do hear that as like that, that sense of really just, I guess, you know, kind of playing from your gut and 
it's easy to forget, you know, that that's, that's, I, that's, I don't know. I think that's why we do this is to be inspired maybe, you know, to play, to play with players that inspire us to play where you get to that zone where you're not thinking and you're playing and you're, um, responding to this, you know, the great music that you're hearing the other players play around you. And, and, uh, and sometimes when you do that, you, there's some magic that happens randomly. Maybe, um, when you're all listening to each other, you're going for that, those magical moments that you never know when they're going to arise. And there are a few of those on there that like, Holy crap. And especially David Greer, like always listening and responding. And there's some real magic that happens, I think between him and the other players um everybody Stuart. oh my gosh Stuart duncan you know i mean <laughs> everybody at that level is is really listening to each other and todd too i mean what a, you know there's a nobody plays bass like him and so you hear this interaction between the players and i was luckily <laughs> you know listening to everybody at the time too and really i think we all played off each other in a really a really cool way on a lot of those songs and so that kind of urgency and interaction um, still, I still feel good about that record. Yeah. Yeah, you should. It's amazing, man. I mean, we're talking about it 25 years later, you know, that's you, not a lot of albums. Uh, not a lot of albums make that happen. Uh, well, thanks. It's, it's really interesting about you saying that about David Greer wanting it to be really good because there's a, there's a live recording out there of, of you guys on an acoustic tour. And I think it's just the two of you. And now I'm gonna have to mm -hmm. go through my hard drives and find it. But it was right after that album was recorded, I believe, and maybe before it was even released, or maybe you had just had copies of it. Um, and David Greer, uh, in between songs, like when he's really gung ho to play songs off that album and says a bunch of really great things about the album, hmm. which I thought was really cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's a guy who gets very excited about, you know, what he's doing and what other people are doing. And um, I remember him playing the tune, the village road for people at some point off of that CD. And he would say, just here, listen to Stuart's, listen to Stuart's double stops. Listen to that. Like Stuart Duncan's double stops on this tune. Oh my gosh. kind of know how that stuff works on the fiddle you realize how how amazing he is i mean it sounds beautiful but when you when you know technically what he's doing or have an, an idea of that it's like yeah that's pretty there's some pretty magical stuff there and uh anyway yeah i was pretty when i heard him saying that I'm like wow cool man i you know He's a very honest guy, and I room to to like that record was meant a lot to me. Oh man, that's so neat! It's really interesting too how players of that level, like you said, like you felt like you know, like you're playing with these guys that are you know more experienced, and it's it's amazing how those people are able to make you play better. 
and or not even play better yeah. but they they can get you into a state of playing better by their playing like it's you know it's i was liking it to driving like a sports car like you didn't know you could go that fast in anything but when you're in the right thing you're like whoa <laughs> i guess yeah. this would be handy <laughs> well and i think what it is is i think it's that they want it to be really good they what they're playing is not about them it's about the group and that's totally true of Stuart and david and I mean, everybody that was on that is like playing very much. Um, like I said, is and there's an interaction between the players. But I know, you know, I know both of those. Like having played, let's just say David and Stewart alone, and I mean this goes for all of them. But you know, those two stand out in my mind as players that are always doing their best to um, contribute to the overall sound. And they can take these amazing solos, but it's not about that. It's about what they're doing, like to to add energy to the tune when it needs it, and to back off when it when it needs you to back off. That kind of thing, because they just they want. I don't know. I, they, obviously, you know, there's a professionalism there that they want to play their absolute best, but um, they also want to uh, make the overall the whole cut sound as good as possible and i think that inspires the other players to do their best to the same if we're all listening to each other then we i think we get that and it's like um you know it's a group it's a group thing and we're i'm not as good as those guys but it's still a group you know they don't care they're they're in it to make it a you know a good sound from from all of us and that's that's it's inspiring as anything well, and, and you say not as good as those guys. However, I mean, and I understand the, like the, the where you're coming from, but when listening to that album, I mean, there's it doesn't you, you would never know who had more experience or, you know, who was the younger player in the in that group or, you know, it's, the album just sounds so good. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks. That's very kind of you. <laughs> oh, man. No, I love it. I mean, I really do. So. So, yeah, uh, so that the books will be in hand in uh sometime next week and be and be mailed out to people and and um i'll have links to where people can get it i'm super excited to see it i think i might have even emailed you years ago before i was doing this podcast and like hey are you doing any transcriptions <laughs> or something oh, super nerdy like yeah that. Oh, cool right right well and i'm hoping to do some more um trying to decide what else because i you know as a teacher it's something i do is is write stuff out on the computer so it's it's easy for me to do that. Um, and uh, so I'm thinking about doing it. Maybe at some point I'll do uh, some Metzlin or Trio tunes, um, either as uh, as just mandolin arrangements or like a trio arrangement where, you know, we kind of have the three parts on, on some of these tunes. I don't, I don't know, but um, one thing at a time, I guess, but um, <laughs> But hopefully there'll be some more. Uh, I, I'm I'm really proud of the Matt Flinter trios with Ross Martin and Eric Tureen, where we we've, we've done these kind of different different vibe of of recording, and and uh, so maybe sometime that'll that'll turn into something as well. But oh, yeah, those albums uh, are all killer too. Well, thanks. Oh yeah, thank you. I mean, I love them, and just the whole the whole backstory behind you know how you guys you know <laughs> come up with the songs three people three songs and you know you have to start it you can't start it early i was just talking about that with uh, oh my god grant gordy oh he did he 
Yeah. And he was talking about he was talking about the rules. And uh, yeah, that was great, man. <laughs> there what, are a, rules. what a cool exercise. Yes, there are rules. <laughs> so I guess there are two rules. One rule is that you can't start it before midnight the previous day. But after midnight is technically the same day. So you can start writing your tune at midnight. But I don't know if anyone ever did that. <laughs> it's always just whenever you wake up in the morning. Um, and the other rule is it has to be finished before the gig starts. And that's, that's, yeah, that's it. doesn't have to be good. just has to be done. <laughs> Grant wrote, Grant wrote some really great tunes. I don't know. I forget how many gigs he did filling in at least maybe six or seven or something. And some of those, if I recall correctly, were with guests like Daryl Anger. Did he write for Daryl Anger? I think he did. Um, maybe Tony Trishka as well. I can't remember. And that was a whole other level of stress is writing for, you know, other players that are our heroes. And, but Grant, I'm not sure Grant ever wrote a tune that was not really, really good. If not great. <laughs> I believe um, it. <laughs> he, yeah, he wrote really good stuff. And I think he's recorded a couple of those tunes um, in some form or another. Like he had one called simpler patterns. Did he end up calling it that? I can't remember. That's one, that's one that still gets played by like, I think Mr. Sun does it. And, um, he was writing, I, I think for some reason, I can't remember if it was the same gig where we, we both kind of wrote a tribute to David Grisman at some point in our music du jour. And, and Grant's was that it was because when Grant was playing with David and they were about to go on stage for a gig and David's, you know, Grant is a really out there player. He's very, he can get harmonically very complex and out there. And, um, and David said to him before they went on stage, Hey, um, could you maybe play, you know, simpler patterns, <laughs> 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 whatever that means, whatever that means, but maybe bring it, you know, make sure that we are, I guess I would take it to me make sure that you're really communicating with the audience. Cause some of them may not relate to the fact that you're playing a Lydia dominant substitution, to <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever it is, right. I guess, I don't know. But so Grant titled a tune by that. And I, you know, I, and I know that Grant has just absolute tremendous admiration for, for David and cherishes, cherishes that, uh, that period of time. And then I think the same, I'd have been the same gig. I wrote a, a tune that I hope to release sometime for for David as well. And so, because because Grant reminded me of David, you know, think, let me write this for Grant. And since we both have David at Grisman in common, I'll try to write to that. So you try, you know, you just try to find inspiration in whatever the circumstances are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um, are you still using? Last time we talked, you were using that green Dunlop pick. Are you still using the same pick? Um. Well, I haven't used a green one. I'm using the the flow, which is like the the kind of purple black one. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, they make them in different colors. I think I. After oh, I, is there a green? There might be a green flow. I don't know. Yeah, there is. I um I remember after I talked with you, I bought a bunch of them of like all of all of them. You know, what do you think of them? I like I, them. I I went through a whole. Fa- I I am a lunatic, man. I go through um different picks you know every six mm-hmm. months it seems like but i do like them i still use the uh i think i got the green one they're different colors depending on the uh thickness i believe oh so what's the, do you know the thickness of the green one i don't but i can track one down and let you know because um, i know the, the one i'm using i think is 2.0 let me see i've got one in my pick case here this does say 2.0 on it 
It does. Let me see what mine says. Um, so I wonder if the green one, maybe the green one sounds better than the purple one. I don't know. I think, let's see, I'm trying to see if I can read what it says, flow. Maybe it's larger? No, it just says Dunlop Flow 2.0. Yeah, that's the same with this. Huh. Huh. Well, maybe that's maybe they changed the color. I'll that have to be. try those out because I've only got like two of these left. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I'll, I'll get some more. I'll get some green ones. This is great. This is ultimate nerdiness right this now. Is, I love it. Yeah, right. This is why we're here. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, anything else on the new gear or anything? I mean, you have one of the best sounding gills out there. So, um, you know, but any any new gear or anything for you? No, no, I have. And this has been a period of, of the last couple of years. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it's been uh, just kind of uh, uh, drawing back a bit and not playing out as much and seeing a lot of the good in that, which has been, the, you know, I've been hanging out with my kids a lot, which is great. And my wife. And, and um, so I haven't been, I mean, I've ventured, I've ventured out to play when, when I'm called to play and that's like we talked about, you know, the last summer was amazing and just crazy busy. Um, so I don't know, I guess the next thing is, is trying to get my studio home studio here. We've got a barn out here at our place with a, with a wonderful loft. Um, this is a big room. And so I've got, I've got like a bunch of mics that I bought a few years ago and I've got a big room mic that I hang as high as possible in that loft for some uh, natural reverb. And uh, so we did some trio, me and Ross Martin and Eric Treen did some trio recording there. We actually did a few tunes with Daryl Anger too for a record that we're, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll be finished uh, early next year um, where we have the, the Matt Flinder trio plus guests. I might've mentioned this last time we talked. That's what you did. Yeah. So Daryl Anger is on a tune. Daryl was like, Daryl and Tony Trishka were our monster guests that did, each of them did at least two. Daryl, I think, maybe did four or five music teacher shows with us because he's like that. I mean, you know, he's the most enthusiastic as well as very creative guy. And and so he was he just ate it up. And, and so we had him on, on like five of those shows. So we picked one. We got one tune that we wrote for him that will be on the record. And then as well as Tony Trishka and Sam Bush, Stuart Rican, um, Danny Barnes, Blaine Sprouse. I was really excited to get Blaine Sprouse on the fiddle. Uh, Bob Carlin, Andy Hall on Dobro, uh, as well as Billy Cardine on Dobro. That was a kick. Both of those guys are so monstrous. Um, who am I leaving out? I'm going to leave people out. Um, <laughs> oh, Joe Craven will play some mandolin um, and probably some percussion because he does everything. And... Uh, yeah, so that record is is uh, partly recorded in, in the barn here, but I, I still need, um, you know, some gear for that. So I'm, I'm going to try to get the, the old home studio set up to to be recording some more. I want to make a banjo record. You know, I don't know. We all did things during the the pandemic, right? That I, at least whatever we first of all, whatever we had to do to survive, um, to you know, to make a living. And so I I I did more well my i taught the whole time which is i was very lucky to be able to teach mandolin and have wonderful students and and uh um really kind of just bared down on that and 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 uh um 
managed to get certainly get through and then did some uh you know live online jams quote unquote jams um with people that whoever wanted to join in um just to keep playing you know so we'd all keep playing together um and then the start of this year uh january 1st i think made made the old new year's resolution to uh to write a tune every day and to hold myself accountable i i posted it on facebook every you know by one o'clock in the morning or something uh whenever i get get the recording done i'd, I'd post it on facebook just so that i made sure that i finished the tune and did my best to get it done you know so i did and i did that for i didn't i'm not still doing it. i did it for 100 days um and then two more so i did 102 days and there was uh the whole month of the whole month of february was all banjo tunes which i'd never done before I'd, oh that's right i remember that i never have written banjo tunes really before to very i've never felt like i had any talent for that so i just made myself do it um and so i've got a bunch of tunes that i want to record on banjo on uh, a record or two uh from that so that'll be part that'll be my first barn project coming up will be a banjo banjo record um so yeah so gear will be be coming but right now <laughs> just trying to support my family and, and put <laughs> off any any gear until i can justify it um but luckily there's sweet water to, you know, to go and put it on the old card and, and put it. So at some point uh, I'm hoping to be recording a lot more. That's, that's the hope anyway. And sweet water gets you whenever you're like, I don't really need that. And it's like $7 a month for four years and no interest. <laughs> I'll get they it. Know they, they know they have us hooked, you know, they know that we're suckers. So they're, they're, they are great. Yep. <laughs> and then you were, uh, you were, you opened a beer before we started this. What, what beer are you drinking? Oh yeah, so um, I think I, I feel like in the past I have mentioned this brewery that um, is is very much I assume still a, a local Vermont brewery called the Foley Brothers down in Brandon, Vermont. And so I'm not sure if your listeners outside of Vermont will be able to find this beer, but it's called Pieces of Eight by the Foley Brothers. But those of you in Vermont or traveling to Vermont, um, I would highly recommend anything by the Foley Brothers. Uh, Pieces of eight is a, let's see, what is this? An Imperial IPA. Oh, wow. So it's a little strong. So over the course of the interview here, it's been uh, <laughs> possibly changing my <laughs> my demeanor a little bit. But um, I just read that Vermont has the, uh, the highest um, per capita number of uh, breweries, of microbreweries in the country, which is not really surprising. Um, and there's some really, really excellent ones. So anybody that's into that thing, that's the type of thing I would highly recommend. Take a trip to Vermont and, uh, yeah, come back up during Green Mountain. If you, you'll be back here in Green Mountain. Yes. In yes. August. And, yeah. And um, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with what's down south there so much. Um, I know there's got to be some good ones, though. But if you get it all to central or northern Vermont, there, boy, there sure are a lot of amazing little breweries out there so i just get it i just you know what i need to do is i really want to start getting out there and playing gigs at breweries around it's just tough when you're you know when you yeah. sleep, sleep in your own bed at night and uh you know yeah. <laughs> play a it's bunch nice. but yeah, yeah for sure you know but it would be nice to to get out there and just 
do some brewery shows and, and, uh, you know, and then, and also try to hit up people like musicians who are in the towns, you know what I mean? Like spend a day just hanging out, going to some breweries and play some music. And I think I'd be, well, this is like a perfect day. Well, <laughs> let me know, let me know. And we'll make it, we can make it happen in a few spots up here. I know there's the, uh, the foam brewery, up, which I've not played yet, but I got to play there up. Uh, I think that's South Burlington is a really good one. Um, and then I feel like there's one at Lawson's that's, is there a venue there? Anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out. That'd be great, man. We should definitely <laughs> yeah. do that. That would be awesome. Definitely. We're going to have to get a few more of those IPAs in you before we, uh, before the, if we play a gig so I can uh, keep up with you. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so, but we will do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we drinking some Red Bull. You'll be drinking Imperial IPAs. <laughs> so, sounds like a plan. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, thanks so much for doing the podcast and, uh, Congrats on the book. I am super excited to uh, to check it out myself. It's been one of my favorite albums for forever. And um, yeah, uh, congratulations on that. It's exciting. Well, thanks, Daniel. I really appreciate you having me on again. And uh, hopefully we'll cross paths in person here soon. Definitely. All right, there you have it. Matt Flinner back once again, one of my favorite players. What a great guy. Go and pre-order that book now. He'll have them in hand next week. So actually pre-ordering, you're practically just ordering it. So, And in the meantime, go and recheck out that album. I've been re-listening to it the last couple days now, knowing this interview is coming up. So, all right. Thanks so much for everybody listening. Again, welcome to Grace Design. Uh, glad to have them on board. And you guys have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>